What's up, everybody? Welcome back to I Came With Fire podcast. Tonight, it's just Zach and I going at it together, just the dynamic duo. Um, had a change of plans. We were supposed to have Hazard Lee, fighter pilot, on today, uh, but uh, had to change those up. I don't want to put his business out there, but uh, congratulations to him. So, yes, as always, this, this podcast is sponsored by Red Clover Coffee. Red Clover Coffee is a veteran-owned business. They donate to a lot of awesome charities. And if you head over to their website or their Instagram page, you can use our promo code CAMEWITHFIRE for 10% off your purchase at checkout. And we got a new sponsor, Sheep's Clothing LLC. Announced that on our Instagram, which of course went over to Facebook as well. If you follow us there. Uh, we don't have our discount code yet, but as soon as we do, it will be put up on our social media so you guys know you can go over there and get your merch for 10% off as well. So shout out to both Red Clover Coffee and Sheep's Clothing LLC for sponsorship. We truly appreciate it. So please head over and uh, support our sponsors because they support us and in turn help keep the podcast going. How you doing, Zach? I'm doing good. I'm doing great. Uh, that sheep clothing sponsor is actually pretty nice because uh, I like to collect a lot of different sweatshirts. I'm wearing one right now. Yeah, uh, not from them, but just a random sweatshirt. Um, what's funny is I always remove the uh, the little drawstrings. I think I find them so annoying. Yeah. Like these ones here, they're just gone. I don't like them. Oh, dude, yeah, I never leave the drawstrings in at all. I do too. Nope. Like especially after having kids, and I get my son, I'm holding him, and he'll just like start yanking on them. So, yeah. I feel like I'll be like eating and it's like getting in my food or I'm doing something. They're always in the way. So I'm like, see ya. Well, I also don't ever like yank on the strings to like tighten exactly. the hood around my head. Like, I don't yeah. know. I'm not trying to look like Kenny from South Park, I guess. Yeah. I've never, I've never needed a reason to do that. It makes no yeah. sense to me. Yeah. No, for sure. But, uh, but so yeah, like I said, I tonight, gonna... no, go ahead, man. I was going to kind of segue. I was going to speak into it. Uh, Speaking of strings kind of just being pulled out and going missing, today's episode mm. is going to deal with a lot of missing things, missing That's people. True. Um, we're hitting into the missing 411 kind of cases, which yeah. are made famous by David Polites. Um, and we're going to kind of talk about a couple of those. I didn't know anything about this until a couple months ago when you started telling me about it. Right. And much like everything else we've kind of discussed, it led me down a rabbit hole, and it just left me with more questions. So I'm excited for this one. They definitely have. The uh, 401 cases is something that I've looked into for a couple of years. Um, I've, I've listened to a bunch of different other podcasts that have done 411 episodes. Um, Astonishing Legends has done them. Bedtime Stories podcast has done them, and a few others. I couldn't really think of them off the top of my head, but <clears throat> I think one of the things that's the the most creepy about the missing four hundred one one is that they're not paranormal, right? I mean, there's mm -hmm. some speculation that they are paranormal, and we'll get into a bunch of different reasons, you know, or things why they could be happening. But you know, a lot of them involve people that. You know, just disappear and are never seen from again. Some of their remains are found again. Some of them are not found again. And then there have been even people who have had experiences similar to those that uh, you know they describe around those who have disappeared, but they haven't disappeared. 
And uh, so mm-hmm. maybe they, they almost got caught up in a situation like that. But, um, yeah, man, as as you said, uh, the Missing 411 um, is, is is something that is a project um, originally from David Polites, who uh, used to be a police officer. And for those of you guys that don't know, I feel like this is actually a pretty common thing. Um, if you you know you get talking to people who listen to podcasts, or if you have an interest in, in the weird, um, but you know, I'll say this: the past couple of days, uh, I've talked to a few people about what we were going to talk about, and literally no one knows about it. And the only other person mm. that knows about it is my wife, and she only knows about it because of me. So, and so, and, and you too, right? So, yeah. But um, anyway. So what happened essentially is that a a National Park Service ranger approached David and essentially told him that he felt like there was a cover-up of missing people in the national parks in North America. And this mm-hmm. has kind of turned into a project now. It's called the Can-Am Project, the uh, Canadian and American Project. And this all centers around disappearances in national parks, both in uh, the United States and Canada. Um, and that's where he focuses his uh, the bulk of his research is is in these two places, right? So um, there are people that go missing in other parks around the world, I'm sure, but this focus is specifically in North America. But um, Zach and I both have a couple of cases tonight that we're going to talk about. Then um, one thing about David that I really like is that he doesn't ever ascribe to one explanation nation or another and he leaves it very open and that's because Mm -hmm. there's no way of knowing what's actually going on and also you know there's just adding that speculation to it which we are going to do tonight but we're not david polite so we don't have to uh, you know ride that fine line it can kind of lead people and lead investigations right if you already go at them uh with an idea in mind and so Mm -hmm. um these were books they're very hard to find books, actually, if you if you happen to Google them or try to find them on Amazon now. Um, they've stopped being printed. So if you find them, a lot of them are, are way more expensive than they probably should be. Um, and there's also several documentaries. Um, so I think altogether there's like 12 different um, medias that he's got out there with this stuff in it, books, documentaries. Um, that you can go find. Uh, Amazon Prime, I know, has Missing 411 on it. And um, this also ties into a lot, of their, a lot of other strange things, which I'm really excited to talk about. Um, and there's a very famous picture, you may have seen it, Zach, of uh, where all these people have gone missing. And then right below it, and we'll put this up on Instagram, right below it is a map of all the cave systems in the United States. Yep. And all of these people go missing around these massive cave systems, right? The Mm -hmm. Mammoth Cave System. um, You know, I don't know any other cave systems off the top of my head, but the Mammoth one I'm really going to talk about later because there's a specific event um, that happened around the Mammoth Cave System um, that isn't with Missing 411, but a lot of people that spend their time researching this will attribute some of this, uh, these disappearances to what I'll talk about. And I'll just throw it out there, tease it real quick, is the Kelly Hopkinsville incident. So for I might, if you don't know about it, and not a lot of people do, um, might teach you something tonight. I don't know if you know about it, Zach. Do you know about the Kelly Hopkinsville incident? I do not. Ooh. I do not know about the Kelly, so I'm excited to hear that one. <laughs> Dude, and I'll give you guys, with the Kelly Hopkinsville incident, I'm going to give you guys a really interesting Pokemon trivia fact. Mm. Yeah, out of left field. Who's that Pokemon? Who's that Pokemon? (laughs) It's Pikachu! It's not Pikachu, actually. Oh, darn it. Yeah. But, um, yeah, man, so David Pilates, 
essentially spent through this entire process of trying to find out what was going on with these missing peoples and national parks. So, of course, the first place he started was pinging the National Park Service, the Forest Service, and asking, hey, are you guys aware that this is going on, right? Mm-hmm. And, you know, come to find out essentially that there's no list of missing people that is is kept right every year and supposedly according to his website there's 1600 people a year on average that go missing from national parks which is why yeah it that blows my mind how Mm. they don't like keep track of or a list of people who might be missing they have huge records of like everyone who goes to the parks they have crazy records of like all the animals in the parks like where they go they track them very very well um they track weather patterns they track like the most minute things they track bugs like to to very very intense detail but you can't tell me that someone went into your park and went missing like that doesn't make any sense to me how can you be like technically the national park service is like one of the largest like federal law enforcement entities because they just cover so much ground right um and how can all of them just not have any idea who is missing in their parks when they sh- have a very well-documented list of people visiting the parks. Couldn't you they figure do. out if they didn't leave? Like, I- I'm really confused by that. Yeah. So if you, if you've ever visited a national park, you know, those of you guys listening, you know that when you park, they literally ask you for your vehicle information, right? Mm-hmm. Because they want to know that if you're parking wherever you are, that you're parking and going into the national park, right? They, it's not a public parking area. And for the most part, you know, as far as I can remember, the national parks that I've been to, uh, you know, Glacier, Na- Glacier National Park in Montana, uh, Yellowstone National Park, Yosemite, mm-hmm. all of these they ask you for parking information, even some of the smaller national parks. Like if you go, you know, um, here in California, you know, there's small, smaller national parks on the beach, right? It's yeah. run by these national park service and they do, they track who goes in and out. So they, they are tracking people that do come in and out and it wouldn't be hard to cross reference that. And, you know, you and I are both people who have spent over a decade a piece, right? 13 years for me doing mm-hmm. law enforcement. And what is law enforcement all about? It's about procedure. And that means documentation. You know, you document evidence. Who's handling that evidence? Who's coming in and out of a crime scene? All that stuff. It's not just about continuity, you know, uh, on a law enforcement level. It's about continuity when it comes time for court, right? You have to know who's handling that evidence so you know it's not tampered with or whatever. So it is. It's very strange. And the other strange thing about it, too, is that the FBI gets called in very often to investigate these missing persons that happen in national parks, which is, again, very strange because unless it has something to do with a minor, the FBI, foul play with a minor, the FBI does not investigate missing persons. Um, mm-hmm. And so it's there's all these very odd coincidences um, or, not, or odd situations, I should say. But yeah. David Polites met and has met a lot of barriers in getting information. He's you know tried some Freedom of Information Act requests, and you know those those Freedom of Information Act FOIA requests they you know they've been denied, 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 and then eventually he got an answer where it said, okay, if you want this list, this comprehensive list of all these people that have gone missing in national parks then you're going to have to pay million dollars or more to get this so list. It was like millions. Yeah. yeah. It was like yeah. a high number. Yeah. I think, I think I remember reading it was $2.4 million mm-hmm. to get this list, 
which is insane, you know, and just having worked for the government for such a long time, you know, we're very good at keeping lists. So to sit here and, you know, and say that it's going to take a million millions of dollars to compile a list to me just sounds like in uh, a sidebar way of trying to stop somebody or, or discourage somebody from trying to get that information. So, you know, and again, there's a lot of coincidences that make this seem suspicious, right? And we're going to kind of get into some of that stuff. Yeah. The thing about like it costing money for the list, like that mm-hmm. tells me because at first they were saying, oh, we can't compile this list. We don't track this. But yeah. then they come out and say, oh, it'll be like 2.4 million for this list. That, in a way, says that they have the ability to make this list and to track it accordingly. They just want $2.4 million for it to kind of get you to stop asking questions. Like, that doesn't... That's exactly what it is. If you if you had the ability to make the list, then, and then also, like, if someone was inquiring about it, wouldn't you still, as an agency, be like, Okay, well, maybe we should just start the list now, because then you could just start it and then continue it on. But they didn't even start it, and it's been what like ten plus years since this started really being like investigated, and they still haven't started a list. Yeah, so that's and that's just like David Politis's investigations. It's been more than that. It's been more than ten years. Yeah, uh, but. Um, a lot of these cases in his investigations, there's one that I'm going to talk about tonight that goes back to 1938. Um, oh, wow. Yeah. And it meets criteria. Obviously, David Pilates wasn't around and in investigating this in 1938, but it meets the criteria of a lot of cases that he investigates. And that's another thing with these cases is they have a lot of very weird things in common. And I'm just going to pull up my notes here real quick and, and get at them because they are they're very strange and zach if if i miss anything that you found let me know but a lot of these are these incidents these people go missing they go missing when they are in groups very often mm-hmm. this isn't every incident but it's a lot of them they go missing when they're in a group they go missing near water uh, the searches are almost always put off because there's some sort of inclement weather incident that happens once that person is declared missing um, very often they are near large groups of rocks. So like a boulder outcropping and very often those boulders are made of granite, which just saying is what the Georgia Guidestones were made out of. Very, very strange, right? There's some weird. mystical properties there. Uh, it is. It's just weird. And that's all I'm saying. <laughs> right. And, uh, in 97, and this is directly from the website, 97%. Okay. Of these cases, canines are unable to actually pick up a scent trail. Right. Um, And very often tracks are not found by searchers. And of course, you know, if you're trained in looking for somebody who's gone missing, you're taught what it looks like when somebody is, you know, traveling through brush or leaving prints and signs of human con or, you know, human human remains. Um, But the other thing, too, is the missing persons, their remains, their belongings are almost always found in an area that has already been visited by search and rescue. Um, it's very common to find those belongings and the remains apart from each other, but in areas that don't make a lot of sense. Example meaning very far off from where that person should be or found mm-hmm. in a location that's so far away from where they were in the time between when they gone missing and when their remains are found. It's not logical for them to have traveled that far, including one of these stories involves a two-year-old child um, who supposedly traveled. 15 miles overnight uh, within 12 hours. That's insane. It is. And um, 
there is I'm trying to remember his name now, but uh, not Bear Grylls, but a another guy the um, who does survival. He's on TV. It was he the Man tried, versus Wild, right? It is. Yeah, he tried to cover that distance at night um, on his own, a grown man, and was unable to do it. So how on earth could a two year old child do it? So there's all these very strange things with these cases that don't necessarily mean anything. But but they do because they you can't you know you sit here I'm like the guy with the the thing behind me with all the strings and the notes and all this stuff and I'm trying to get you to you know right and that but it is it's all just very weird. Yeah, uh, some of the things you uh, I was going to add to the list um, is typically when they do find their belongings they're like neatly kept either their clothes yeah. are folded mm-hmm. um, they're like is like propped up right in like a neat area. Um, and then another thing, too, is majority, not all, of course, but majority of the people who do go missing tend to be very fit and intelligent individuals yeah. who are adamant um, outdoors. outdoors. Yeah. Either they hike a lot or they camp a lot or they're very used to the area that they go missing in. That, too. Yeah. yeah. That's true. You know, and um, aside from, like I said, the two-year-old, right, that, that did this. He was actually found, which is great, but not all of the children that have gone missing are found. Um, the other thing Correct. I found weird, too, like I said, is is they go missing from a group. And a lot of these, they, they're very close to their group when they go missing, whether they're hiking like mm-hmm. in a line with their group or they're in the campsite and they just happen to wander off real quick to go take a leak or walk down to you know the body of water and they go missing, right? And... Um, yeah, we can start jumping into some of these cases. Um, if you want, man, you can you can lead off if uh, you want with uh, the first case you want to talk about. I've got a couple on here. Yeah, um, for sure. Reference reference wise, they all have common threads. But uh, yeah, if you want to kick us off, man. Yeah, so I've got three of them here, um, and I'll start off with this first one. Um, this involves. Uh, uh, Stephen uh, Kubaki or Kubaki, I can't mm. pronounce his name, my last yeah. name properly. Um, but uh, this guy actually goes missing, um, but he is eventually uh, comes to and is found, um, but way later, uh, which is really confusing. Um, so in February of 1977, uh, Stephen, who is a 25 or 24 year old man, um, avid cross country skier been doing it ever since he was like a teenager um was cross-country skiing through the snow near lake michigan um he reached the edge of the lake um he decided to take a little break so he took his skis off and he sat down and then uh he was only he says because he was found and he was interviewed later on he says that he uh uh, only sat down for like 10-15 minutes and uh when he got up to leave uh his skis were gone and they were right next to him and he thought that was odd. And then he also knows that there was no tracks. So he had no way to kind of remember where he came from. Uh, so he uh, said he became lost. So um, the last thing he remembered after noticing that was walking through the snow, feeling numb and exhausted. Uh, and then he blacked out. And then in the blink of an eye, from his perspective, it was now spring. Um, he was lying in a grassy field in the middle of a forest wearing clothes that weren't his sitting next to him was a backpack that wasn't his containing equipment and shoes um, and glasses that didn't belong to him. Um, And he was really confused. So he decided to hike to the nearest town 
um, and asked a local person like what was going on. Uh, he hiked into Pittsfield, Massachusetts, which is 700 miles away from where he went missing. Um, he knocked on the door of some random house that he found. Uh, an elderly woman was like, how can I help you? He asked if he could use a phone. Uh, he called his um, fiance uh, back home. And uh, after realizing and speaking with the fiance, uh, he had been missing for 14 months. No one had seen him for 14 months. That's and he had I... no idea how he went from the state Lake Michigan and then showed up 700 miles away with a whole bunch of new stuff and everything. Um, the official explanation by doctors is that he had some type of like fugue state or some type of amnesia. Mm-hmm. Um, but a lot of doctors are also baffled by this because it's very <clears throat> rare for someone to have that long of a fugue state or for that large chunk of a time frame to just be missing from someone's like mind or memory um, right. without something coming up. Uh, he was even been to like a psychologist who tried like hypnosis to like remember stuff that he did. And still to the day that he eventually passed away, because he, he did pass away from cancer uh, in the early 2000s, um, he still was unable to ever remember anything that happened during the 14 months that he was missing. He has no recollection or memory of it at all. And he kind of was like fixated on it, trying to figure it out, and he couldn't even figure it out. So it's just weird. Um, Went missing, 700 miles away, woke up in just a random field, uh, wearing different clothes, had different items uh, for 14 months. Dude, I feel like you would live the rest of your life in fear that that would happen again. Dude, oh, yeah. Like, it, it would be hard to like think like, you know, well, if, if this happened to me this one time, I don't want to get married or have kids, you know, and then disappear for 15 months or longer. Like, what if you never come out of that state or whatever, if if indeed it was some sort of mental state that happened to him, like that would, I think I feel like that would alter like the decisions you make later in life, you know, about, geez, even about something as simple as getting in a car and driving somewhere. Definitely going, sure. out, going out I, cross country skiing again. Yeah, that was actually something I was thinking about. I was like, I'd be so afraid to do anything that would potentially put me in danger if I just randomly went back into my fugue state but what's crazy is they like tested his brain they did like mris and cat scans and there's nothing wrong with him he's perfectly healthy he never had this issue ever again and he never had it before so it's just kind of just kind of odd yeah i feel like if you i mean and i'm not a doctor so this is just me speculating but if if you have this state this fugue state that you're in that you might have other indicators that you have some sort of, you know, neurological disorder going on. You don't just randomly go into like a waking coma, essentially, because you got to think for 15 mm-hmm. months, he had to eat, he had to drink, he had to probably interact with other people. And he was wearing clothes that weren't yeah. his, he didn't have his own belongings, he was laying out in the middle of a field, right? I mean, you, mm-hmm. you had to, he had to survive for 15 months. And, and, you know, if you're in that sort of state, like, what are you doing for, for money, right? Are you relying on the goodwill of other people? That's another thing, too. It makes me wonder, like, now that you're talking, are we talking about this and, like, you know, relying on other people? I'm kind of surprised that there's no one that's come forward after this has made, you know, the news and been like, no, I know him, and that's you know that's actually Brian Jones or whatever, and you know the, whatever yeah. you know and said like 
yeah, man, that, uh, we met randomly and we were friends and I let him crash at my place for a couple months until he, you know, until he just bounced one morning or whatever, you know, and, and there's no one come out and said, like, I recognize that person. So to me, it's like, if you survive for 15 months and you made it from you know, the, the part of Michigan, you know, or Michigan all the way to Massachusetts, right? So you went from the Midwest, basically, in the in the winter, the right, all the way coast. to the East Coast, yeah. right? That you would have had to have relied on people, you know, whether you were hitchhiking or you made friends or whatever, mm-hmm. right? So there had to be people that interacted with him if he was in that fugue state. And I don't know what, what somebody looks like when they're in a fugue state, but you know, or to, to where you could be like, oh yeah, something's, something's kind of off with them. Like they look like they're sleepwalking or whatever, you know, or it's almost mm-hmm. like one of these things where like, you're now interacting with somebody who seems like they have a different personality. And if you'd never met them before, you wouldn't know that this isn't who they are. Like if, you know, I, I've, I've known you for a while. Right. And if like one day we, we link up and you're all of a sudden talking about how much you hate formula one racing, I'd be like, you're an imposter. Who are you? You know what I mean? And like, what's going on? The drones on? got to you. The drones got to you, dude. The birds, you know, or like you know, something, right? You know, and you were like, I'm actually the world's second greatest recruiter. I'd be like, dude, what happened to Zach? And uh, but you would think, you know, there had to be somebody that that helped him out at some point, whether financially or yeah. just food and water or a ride. It, it makes me think, too, like if this would have happened nowadays, you know, that somebody really quickly could have come out and said, oh, yeah, I know who that is. And that's not who they said they were. You know what I mean? And there could be a mm-hmm. whole string of people who'd be like, I interacted with this person in Indiana and I interacted with this person in Ohio and I interacted with this. You know what I mean? And like you just how else are you going to make well, it around? Wait, wait until I tell you. You're going to be kind of interested when I tell you about my third person. OK, my third person is very similar to what I just told you about Stephen. Except it happened in the last uh, five years. So um, it's very similar, and we'll we'll get to it later. It's a little teaser for those listening to stay tuned how those connect. But yeah, even back then, it's like the police investigated it and everything. They tried to interview people all the way from where he went missing to where he was found. And like you said, still to this day, no one has come forward saying they helped him or they guided him or anything. He literally apparently just disappeared for 14 months and then showed up in a field with different clothes, which is just strange. And we'll get to our theory stuff a little bit later, but um, it's, it's very interesting. I have my theory of what happened and it can be for some listeners or people watching, it can be a little out there, but um, there's a lot that we as humans and as a species don't know about the universe. And I, I think there can be some things that could easily explain this that maybe we're just not ready to accept. Yeah, for sure. Or maybe we're going to be forced to accept, you know, especially with a lot of this disclosure that's come out. Because, you know, I'll just say right off the bat without jumping too far into it that, you know, UFOs mm-hmm. have been used as an explanation for the missing 411. There's even a documentary that came out that David Polites did that's called Missing 411, the UFO Connection, you know, and kind of linking mm-hmm. some of these, these cases of people who've been abducted and, you know, they were they went abducted out of a national park so they they, you know start fitting into this category right and um so he did a documentary about that as well but that's not the only theory people have um and and we've kind of talked we've kind of like indirectly mentioned one of the theories in another in the zach attack episode um yeah 
Yeah. So, but um, yeah, man, that one, that one, I I have heard about that one before, but not jumped into it as much as you did. And that is, that's just really strange because I, I you know, without it being that fugue state, right? Occam's razor. What's the most simple explanation? Essentially, the you know. And I know that's actually a simple way of describing Occam's razor. razor. That's not exactly what it is. But, you know, generically, the most simple explanation, the one without, you know, the most fabrication needing to support your conclusion, um, that makes sense. But it doesn't with all this other stuff, you know, and and some other ideas come to mind that we just don't have the ability to prove at this moment. Um, You know, and and some of these ideas. Go ahead, man. I was gonna say they they like tested him too. Like he was perfectly healthy. He wasn't malnourished, like nothing. So that means like he was eating well. He wasn't like surviving off the land in some random caveman fugue state. Like he was. He's wearing like decent clothes that were clean. Like it's just. And, and here's the there's thing. so many there's so many things. It's just so weird. Right. And and here's the thing too. There's a couple things that come to mind when we are going to talk about some of these other cases. Is that he survived right if indeed mm-hmm. like this you know he survived he made his way somebody else somewhere else he forgot who he was for a period of time never recovered those memories right what if some of these other people whose remains weren't found because there have been people whose remains were found and we'll uh you know kind of talk about how weird that is um mm-hmm. but what if some of these people went missing and they never snapped out of their you know alter I- identity right and they are existing other places now, you know, and yeah. these, a lot of these cases, like I said, this one right here, I'm going to talk about this one first is from 1938, right? You okay. Know, this, it's, it's a kid. He was four years old, right? I mean, could he still be alive? You know, if he, unfortunately he did pass away in this one, but if somebody from that time period or even afterwards, you know, they'd be really old, you know, their parents wouldn't be around anymore now with the way social media is and the way information gets around, you wouldn't know, you know, if you, if the yeah. last time you saw your child, as sad as this is, was four years old and you know, you're not going to, you probably would not recognize, even if you were still alive, the way they looked, if they were in their sixties, you know, or their fifties or older, you know, yeah. so you wouldn't even know, you know, especially if, like I said, if they just never came out of this like weird state that they ended up in because of some weird, like cross dimension shit or whatever, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? But mm-hmm. Yeah, man. This next one, this is uh, the oldest one supposedly, right? So if if you're listening and you know one that uh, is referenced from an earlier time period, feel free to let us know on Instagram. Uh, but yeah, this just one tell is us we're the, wrong. Tell us we're wrong. <laughs> Don't just tell us we're wrong. Tell us we're wrong, and then tell us how you're right, and then give us some good information. Yeah. Right. Make sure it's uh, all caps though, so we know where you're yelling. Exactly. You know, and if you could use a few choice emojis, that'd be even better. Mm-hmm. Um, so this one is the case of four-year-old, like I said, Alfred Bailhearts, okay? And this was on July 2nd, 1938, uh, and this one happened in Rocky Mountain National Park. So Alfred went on a traditional Father's Day camping trip with his dad and his grandfather, and they had gone to, his dad and his grandfather had gone to this campsite when, since his dad was a kid. Right, so this is something, and it's a, a place that both the father and the grandfather knew very, very well. Right, and Alfred had been here before, but he's four years old, so yeah. you know, there's there's not a, a term of reference there for him. And mm-hmm. um, while they were at the campsite, uh, another another family who was camping near them noticed that 
their children were around the same age that Alfred was, right? And so they made conversation, became, you know, kind of friends out there on the campsites. And, you know, the kids became acquainted and started playing together. Well, it got to the point essentially where the kids, you know, decided they were going to play this prank on the adults and they were going to hide behind the trees and everyone, you know, the adults knew and Alfred's dad watched, you know, Alfred go behind a tree and was paying attention. If that was my kid, I'd be watching too, you know. And then when the kids jumped out as part of the joke to scare the adults, Alfred did not jump out with the rest of the kids, which isn't that odd. You know, kids that are that young, they don't – the element of surprise, they plan a surprise, right? They're not – you know, it would be, wouldn't be unusual for him to pop out five, ten seconds later and do it, right? Because synchronized mm. stuff at four years old is a little bit more difficult. Well, his dad watched the tree. Alfred did not jump out and didn't take his eyes off the tree's yelled for him, asked him to come out, and he didn't, so he approached the tree. And when he got to the tree, Alfred was no longer behind that tree. And up until the point where Alfred, like I said, went behind the tree, his dad watched him go behind it and then watched the specific tree, right? So you would think he'd have seen Alfred, you know, go left or right away from it or or whatever. Mm-hmm. And when he didn't see Alfred behind the tree, he took off into the into the rest of the forest behind that tree and in, in a direction away from it, but into the forest and went, according to his testimony that he gave the police for about two miles without seeing Alfred and, and didn't see him, which, of course, initiated, you know, a search and rescue. And here's one of the things um, this uh, the case with Alfred meet some of these criterias a lot of the fam some of the other people around the campsites the families and the the search officials felt that he may have wandered near the river that was close there and okay. fallen in right which what it is you know is, is a logical conclusion to come to so what they did was they dammed the river to prevent his body or or whatever from floating further down and then they raked the bottom of the river and didn't find anything okay um, and his dad felt like that's not something that Alfred would do is wander towards the water. And he just, you know, felt that way. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, again, and here's another one of these check marks on these boxes where a lot of these cases have similarities is they called in a search dog team. OK. Um, and the dogs were able to pick up a scent, but they led them to a rock outcropping. OK. And when the dogs got to this rock outcropping, it was a sheer 500-foot uh, cliff face, okay? And the dogs sat, you know, indicating that, hey, here's where the scent ends and we've found what it is that you're asking us to look for, right? Yeah. And obviously, they're like, okay, there's no way this should end like this, okay? And so they actually brought in another team of bloodhounds to follow the scent and the same thing happened with those bloodhounds is they walked all the way to that cliff face and then uh signaled that hey this is where this ends and so you know obviously this this cliff face um is called devil's nest okay and it was a very like popular uh cliff for for rock climbers in Rocky mm-hmm. National Park, okay? Rocky Mountain National Park. And so they ended up going to the top of the cliff face, this plateau. They looked for Alfred, didn't find anything, okay? But um, later, 24 hours later, um, a couple who was on a trail six miles away from where Alfred went missing, okay, stopped at a bench to take a break, get some food. And the man in the couple noticed 
off in the distance, the devil's nest, this plateau, this cliff face, that there was a male child looking and walking around the edge and was like looking over the top of the, the plateau, right? And he remember thinking, you know, he said that that seemed really odd, but then noticed that it looked like somebody snatched him back away from the edge. So to him, not knowing that Alfred was missing, thought that there was a, you know, a, a parent or somebody up there with the child and, you know, did the logical thing and pulled the kid away from the edge of this cliff face. Um, it was only after they realized that there was a child missing that they reported it to officials, right? Um, wow. There's no way to know if that was Alfred, but the coincidences again um, and similarities are are kind of you know too close to not think that it it, it is Alfred, and um, mm-hmm. so that but unfortunately that didn't yield any sort of result. But the cliff face is six miles away from where Alfred went missing. And six miles would be a lot for a child to cover, especially when you consider this was 24 hours later, okay? He would have had to make it six miles away and up this cliff face, right? And, you know, thinking about a a four-year-old staying overnight in a forest in Rocky Mountain National Park, even during the summer, right? It's going to get down into, you know, at least, you know, the, the low 40s, maybe high 30s at night, especially with tree cover, and, um, you know, it would be very hard for a four-year-old to survive something like that. And, and, you know, I guess as long as it didn't get below freezing, they probably could if they weren't picked off or fell or hurt themselves or whatever. But to, to be seen the next day, you know, and being pulled away from the cliff face by something or somebody is very odd. So, um, unfortunately, uh, Alfred was, was found. His remains were found. Um... His remains were found, uh, and the small part of his skull cap was found, which is the top part of your skull. Um, And that's another thing that's very common with these situations, is that when human remains are found, very specific parts of their remains are found. And the skull cap is one of those, and so are teeth, which is kind of odd when you think about it. Yeah, it's really strange. It's... It's just, like you are saying, it's very interesting to think of a child traveling that distance. But I would also be like, almost feel like something would have to almost induce the child or seduce the child to, like, want to follow or leave. Mm-hmm. Like, right. you're right behind a tree. Like, right. what, what enticed you to just go away and then within, like within a minute not pay attention or listen to your father calling for you or not right. you make any noise either like it's why would you just at all randomly just go or right, i'm just gonna run dead sprint into these woods and not respond to anyone mm-hmm. like i yeah you're playing hide and seek and maybe you're thinking your father's like trying to hide you and you're just still trying to be quiet but at some point you as a child i feel like even as a as a kid you can pick up on tones and you would understand like your father's not playing anymore and is actually like worried and you would like just know to stop. Like I remember when I was very little, my dad was yelling at me. I knew what was joking and what was, oh crap, I'm about to get my, my butt spanked, you know? So right. I don't know why he wouldn't either. No, I mean, I definitely, even now my son, right? He's he's not even two. And if I mm-hmm. use certain tones, like he knows, I mean, business and he'll stop, you know? Yeah. And even if when like my, my wife is talking to him, even if, if I start telling him to stop doing what he's doing, he'll 
you know, kind of sometimes listen a little better than when mom is telling it to. It's just like, a, mm-hmm. you know, your dad voice or whatever. Yeah, that's true, man. And, um, you know, unfortunately, this time is a child that that was, you know, recovered uh, in a deceased state, you know. And um, but that that is the oldest one that I found. And there's there's a couple on here that I have are that are children um, and the rest are adults. Um, and like you said earlier, they are people that should know the woods. And these are hunters. These are people that are like nature photographers that understand the risk that they're getting into, you know, mm-hmm. and go in prepared. You know, they don't go off on their own. So without any you know sort of supplies or, or knowledge and letting somebody know they're going to dis you know they're going to go out in the woods or whatever so yeah did uh did it say specifically where they found the remains were they close to where the kid went missing or were they like, yes. really far away or something so the remains it said were 11 miles away from where he would have been missing um and again they were they were inside a uh, like a crevice essentially um which talk about you know there are specific animals and there are predator predatorial animals that do hide food right or things that they're saving for later inside rock crevices right but it doesn't explain you know some of the other stuff that happens right in some of these other cases they find these remains and boulder outcroppings um or other you know other crevices right and they're all you know these these odd places they shouldn't be able to get to but then they find their clothes or a backpack or a hunting rifle or a bow or whatever mm. and they're stacked up and it looks like somebody left it there and you'd think if you happen upon you know a backpack leaned up against a tree with a hunting vest and a bow next to it you'd be like oh that's somebody's stuff and they're gonna come back maybe they're off taking a dump behind a tree or something mm-hmm. you know what i mean and and mm-hmm. you would think to yourself, either I'm just going to leave this here or you might wait and see if somebody comes back for it. You know what I mean? And um, so there's it is. It's just that's the thing, man, that has always gotten me about these cases is is that stuff, man. Like why? And and, and the other thing, too, is they you, they usually find these items in places that have already been searched. It's almost like somebody knows that that area has been searched. So they go back into it and place these items or that's where their remains are found. Right. And, Mm -hmm. and then they find them later. And some of these are even years later or months later. Right. And it's, it's normally not the search party that finds these remains. It's another hiker or another hunter or somebody else that's just out there camping and they find this stuff, you know, and then, of course, yeah. through the you know the course of saying I found this, they're like, oh shit, we we looked there a year ago or whatever. So, yeah, that's very strange. Did you have more to add about the about um, Alfred? Not or... for not for him. I do have, like okay. I said, I've got a couple other ones, but you know, um, if you want, I mean, I can go into another one, or and you could talk about another one of the cases you have. But all of mine, like I said, they all have these similar features or attributes to them that make them, you know, odd to me. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Uh, yeah, I, I can, I can go into this next one. It, it kind of has stuff about like clothes being left behind and mm-hmm. someone just kind of disappearing very, very quickly. Um, yeah. So this, this is about an, an older woman. So she's in her sixties. Um, uh, I believe 62. Uh, mm-hmm. and her name is Rosemary Kuntz. Mm-hmm. Um, and she went missing in August of 2000. Now, a little backstory on Rosemary. So she was happily married, and uh, about five years before she went missing, her uh, husband and herself were in a car accident, 
and unfortunately the husband passed away um and so she went through like extensive physical therapy to kind of get back to her original self for the accident she was a very avid hiker um her and her husband would go hiking and go on uh trips out in the woods for days weeks on ends and so she's a very used to this kind of lifestyle so it took her about a year to finish her physical therapy kind of get back to where she was and for a 60-year-old woman, uh, she was very, very active. And that's what a lot of people um, who was around her said. She was very active. Um, so in August of 2000, um, you know, she's kind of feeling down about missing her husband and a whole bunch of other stuff. And she heard of a trip done by a local Indian um, reservate or Indian tribe on a reservation uh, in Northern California ran by a guy named Red Hawk. And uh, Red Hawk would take the group um, up to a place called Wooly Creek, um, and you would go to a lake called Spirit Lake. And uh, it was a place where you could feel very in tune, like with mm -hmm. people who had passed. So she thought, screw it, I'll go there, I'll think about my husband, um, and we'll do that. So she met up with a group of about 10 other people, plus Red Hawk, a cook, and Red Hawk's son. Uh, whose name was uh, Shalot or Sh Sh Shallot. Um, little Onion. So, yeah, Little Onion. <laughs> so they um, uh, they went on this trip. It was going to be like two days to get to the lake, and then they would stay two days there, and then two days the whole group would come back. So they're in a group this whole time, right? So they all make it to the lake, no issues, no problem. Um they stay the first night there, and then they get up early in the morning, and Red Hawk says, hey, we're going to go climb up. We're going to go out the trail a little bit and up to the top of a hill um, where you can kind of see the lake from above, yeah. and uh, we're going to go up there and stuff. And um, Rosemary said that she didn't want to go, along with another person said that they didn't want to go, and uh, Shallot and the cook were also just going to stay at the campsite. The cook was going to get like stuff prepared for like lunch and stuff shallot was just going to stay back because he didn't want to go either so rest of the group went with red hawk you had the three adults the cook rosemary and some other person and then shallot left at the campsite now to give you some context the lake they're at is like in a basin and the basin okay. has like a 70 degree angle like sheer cliffs all the way around it was yeah. this this lake is in an old volcano that had imploded upon itself at some point like thousands of years ago um and the only way in and out is one trail that goes through the campsite that they're at the only right. way in and out okay there is a trail that goes around the lake and the lake's only like a mile wide or like half a mile wide or something like that so it's less than a mile wide you can see anywhere on the trail pretty much every other end of the lake give it give or take some foliage or trees okay okay um so uh rosemary was kind of like feeling a little like i want to go for a walk and so she goes up to the cook and says hey can you make me like a lunch like to go lunch or whatever uh for this trip i'm gonna go on a walk around the lake just on you know and then kind of see how i feel and then i'll come back she asked the other adult if they wanted to come. They said no thanks. And she asked Shallot to um, also if like he wanted to come. They both said no. Okay, and that's that's important information for later for when we get to like theories yeah. that law enforcement thought of. So she goes on her walk, 
And this little walk should have took like maybe 25, 30 minutes and then she'd be back. And that's what she told everyone. She never returned. Mm-hmm. Um, never came back, right? So Red Hawk and the group comes back and Red Hawk's like, where, where'd Rosemary go? And Shadow's like, oh, she went on a walk. Cook's like, I gave her a lunch bag. She said she'd be back. Red Hawk goes, okay, well, when she leave? And he's like, well, I left like over an hour ago, two hours ago. And he's like, well, that's weird. She should be back by now, but maybe she like went out there and is just kind of enjoying nature. She just sat down somewhere. She's just enjoying nature. Right. Well, sun starts to go down. Red Hawk's getting worried. So he decides, all right, everyone, we're going to go try to find Rosemary. So the trail to go around the lake splits and then goes around, right? Mm-hmm. So it's at the campsite, one way in, one way out, and it just goes around. So he divided the groups into two. And they went around to go find her. They went around. They meet each other on the other end. Nothing. She doesn't exist on the trail. No one saw her. There's no evidence of her going anywhere or anything like that. So Red Hawk is, like, kind of confused. So he tells his son to leave, like, to leave the campsite, go back down to the bottom and tell a a park ranger who's at the very beginning of, like, this area. So Mm -hmm. Shallot goes, tells a park ranger, and starts this whole search in this whole area so they get like a hundred and something volunteers like a ton of people and they're searching this whole basin and everything um the top of this basin still has like snow kind of on it too so like they're checking there's no trails of it in the snow um they never find any evidence of her getting out through the basin also it'd be like almost impossible because it's like cliffs she'd have to like really climb out of it um but they never found her um but uh, about a week after looking for her, um, they found, or not they, someone else who was hiking in the area, who was also at the lake, kind of just going around, they found her jacket that she was wearing, um, perfectly folded, on a, on a tree stump, right next to the trail, in eyesight, right? Her shoes, um, the sandwich, uneaten, spoiled, in the bag. And her hat. And that was it. And it was all neatly left on a stump in eyesight of the trail in a place that people had been looking for the last week. No one ever found it. They still have no idea where she went, where she is. She's just completely gone. Um, The police, the running theory is that she missed her husband and the whole trip for her was a suicide like thing. She was going to go out there and commit suicide. But the caveat that a lot of people say is if she was going to go commit suicide, why would she ask the cook to make her a lunch? Why would she ask the cook and Shallot and the other adult to go with her on this walk? That part makes sense. Because if they said yes, then how would she be able to commit suicide, right? Right. And if she was out there to commit suicide, did she wait several days to leave her clothes behind and then do it? And if so, where's her body how did she commit suicide? They they searched the lake. They searched outside the edge of this cliff basin. They searched well out in other areas. There's still to this day, uh, that was in 2000, still to this day, there's nothing ever been found about her. And that's a well-visited area. Like, it's not a place, like, no one goes to. Like, a ton of people visit this area all the time. So, so just these strange. Are the, these are elements of these cases that really creep me out, man, because... It almost is like serial killer like behavior, like taunting. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like, you know, you looked here, you come back, 
and then here's this neatly folded jacket, the spoiled sandwich, the shoes, the hat, all just placed here for you. And it's not even like, oh, you know, like I'm taunting you. It's like almost like a calling card and like a hello. Yeah. I know I know you were here too. And I'm going to leave this for you to find right here, you know. And that whole theory about her, you know, wanting to kill herself, like asking the cook to make a sandwich, bring it out there. I mean, you know, like just be real, you know, like in, through the course of my career, I, you know, I've been involved in, you know, investigating suicides and, you know, people do a lot of really odd stuff to, to make it seem like things are normal, right? Before mm -hmm. they do that to not tip other people off. So you know, ask, asking for a sandwich, you know, maybe she, if, if that was true, maybe she had intention on eating the sandwich as a last meal, or maybe she had intention on asking for the sandwich to appear normal, right? To wander off on mm -hmm. a hike on herself. But that piece about, asking other people to go with you if that was your intention you're not going to do that you know so yeah. and that, that's to me if that's the official line on what happened to her is some sort of suicide you know due to a broken heart because of her husband you know that doesn't really make a lot of sense to me and you know it seems like too um and i would have to know like how big this lake was that you said that like the trail went around and they met up that you would think too that it's not so big to where if she was indeed attacked by a human or by an animal or killed herself or something, you know, um, you know, if, if she used a gun, I guess, or uh, you would hear some sort of scream mm -hmm. if she was attacked by somebody. It's not that big to where you wouldn't hear a scream, you know, and you know, especially if you it, if you're wandering off on a trail that you should be back in 30 minutes, you're going to be in earshot for a scream. Yep. And there's only one way in and out to this yeah. basin. So it's not in the cook shall and the other person were there the whole time, unless they yeah. were all asleep at the same time. There's no way she like walked out of there without being noticed. And then if there was someone else, either a it had to be someone from the group who killed her, but right. they were all accounted for, or someone was already out there and just mm -hmm. prime of opportunity. But then they still could only go in and out this one way. So like, with that, and you would how think did, you would how did they get out? Yeah, you would hear yeah. her screaming for help. You know what I mean? And it, there would be you know, somebody struggling with her. You know, and there would be potentially evidence of that. And you know, I don't know. That just to me is again like these situations that don't make a lot of sense, but have all these really odd coincidences. And I'll kind of go over two of them real quick. Um, again. These all are, you know, this one, one of these involves a body of water. They both involve, you know, rock outcroppings, right? And yours yeah. just now, you know, body of water, right? And I'll just say Surrounded this too. Surrounded by rocks. Surrounded yeah. by rocks, right? And one of the theories I think links up with why bodies of water. There's a couple of them have reasons why I think link up with bodies of water. But, you know, when you're living out in the woods, what do you want to be by all the time? You want to be by a water, water source. Yeah. So yep. so this first one, this one is relatively recent. This is from 2014. And this one was actually featured on the Missing 411 documentary. Um, this is a case of Aaron Hedges. Uh, he went out elk hunting. This is September 5th, 2014 is when he went out. So um, the Crazy Mountains in Montana, that's what they're called, the Crazies, uh, was like their nickname. Um, went elk hunting with some friends. This is a place that he'd gone hunting several times. And if you've ever been hunting with a group of people you know that you don't stay together, 
when you're hunting you kind of split up whether you you know you have somebody that goes out and you have you know the other two kind of pushing you know the the deer or whatever towards that person or or mm-hmm. whatever you don't stay together i guess if you're sitting in a duck blind with some friends or something like that you would but they were elk hunting right so yep. um went in with some friends um, decided that he was going to break off from the trail and go out towards a cache that he had set up um, that had some items that he wanted out of it. And he was on walkie-talkie comms with the friends, right? And at one point, he checked in saying he missed a turnoff, that he had to go back and find the turnoff to get to the cache, and that he was okay. And that was the last time he said anything to anybody or anybody heard from him, Okay. Well, this cache also tells you that, like, he's been here a lot. Oh, yeah, absolutely. If he has a cache there, he's mm-hmm. been to this location yeah. a lot. If you, if you, cause so, so I'll say this too, right? And they say this in the documentary. And if you've ever lived in Montana, and I have, I lived there for eight years, especially up in the mountains, the weather can change on you like that. And you could be stuck out there in this flash snowstorm, or it just gets really cold at night because it's Montana, right? And you're out in the mountains. There's the tree cover. There's the mountains. There's the wind. All that stuff, okay? And the the legend behind the crazies is that they're cursed, okay? So they kind of tie that into the documentary. Um, it's a Native American curse. It's Montana, right? So, mm-hmm. but right after he went missing, okay. They decided, you know, hey, okay, it's been too much time. We haven't heard from Aaron, and we need to go and find him, okay? So they, you know, contacted the police. They contacted search and rescue. Well, they decided because of all the land that they had to cover, okay, to find him with the snow coming in and all this, that they were going to use a helicopter, okay, which is not uncommon. It's very common to use a search helicopter looking for somebody. Well, Mm -hmm. it just so happens that right as they were going to fill up the helicopter, they were going to, you know, take it out there. Uh, a freak snowstorm happened, and they decided, with you know the seriousness of you know him being missing and a human life at risk, that they were going to go out anyway. Well, this helic, this helicopter with all five people on this helicopter, it crashed. Okay, everybody survived, right? But the fact that again, there's some sort of adverse weather incident that happens right when you know, this person goes missing and they're going to start looking for them, it it ties into some other things. And one of these, one of the theories behind this is that um, this has like some sort of interdimensional aspect to it, okay, or or UFO aspect to it. And that, that essentially the theory goes that they go missing, they know people are going to go looking for them, and then something is able to manipulate the environment that prevents people from going and looking for them and potentially finding whatever took that person. So whether it's some sort of interdimensional being, interdimensional Bigfoot, right? <laughs> one of these, one of these cases, um, the Dennis Martin case, does have to do with a Bigfoot and an eyewitness count. Okay, um, but these adverse weather effects and it prevented them from going out and finding him. Well, initially, you know, that happened. They were able to go back out again and they went out without a helicopter. But of course the search and rescue was unsuccessful. Well, uh, rescue workers did find his shoes and his camelback, his water reservoir, right? Two days later. Okay. Um, but it was, it was six miles away from where he supposedly went missing, and it was in the opposite direction, okay? So the trail that he was following was a trail that the other people that he was hiking or hunting with knew 
where it was going okay they had this mapped out okay Mm -hmm. and it went the exact opposite direction where he should have gone and again this isn't his first time out here he knows like you said he set up a cache you know which is like a thing i'm gonna go get this if i'm in trouble kind of thing right i know where this Mm -hmm. is but he should have known where he was going okay um but that's what they found uh rescue workers found his shoes two days after shoes in his camelback but nine months later um his backpack, his bow, socks, shirt, sweatpants, and an orange hunting vest were found piled by a tree. Um, this was six miles away from where his shoes were found and 15 total miles from where he was originally separated from his group, okay? And the thing with this is that location where those items were found, and again, they were set up next to a tree, okay? Um, they were set up in view of a house and a road, Okay? So you would think that if you are indeed lost and, and it was on kind of a hill, which is which is what people do, right, when they're lost, that you go to a high vantage point because you, you can see, you know, okay, if you, you know you get to the point where, like, oh, there's a road, I can head that direction or whatever. Yeah. Or if there's a helicopter looking for you, you're more visible. But he could see, somebody could see a road and could see a house. And if you've lost and you're 15 miles, if, you know, you're way out there and away from everybody and you don't know where you're at and then all of a sudden you see a house – I mean, that's like the first place you're going to go. You know what I mean? Or at the very least, if you see a road, you're going to go to the road hoping that, hey, obviously that road's going to lead somewhere to somebody, right? Or a car will drive by or something like that. But they found all of his stuff. It looked like somebody had just taken it all out. And, and, they, and oddly enough, this is the stuff that was in his cash, okay? So he, he got to his cash. Or, yeah, exactly. So – Again, why this experienced, you know, elk hunter in Montana who understands he's Montana born and raised, right? Understands the risks going out in the mountains, elk hunting with his friends, has a cache, a couple of caches up in the mountains, knows where he's going. They had walkie talkies, you know, for comms, you know, orange hunting vest, his bow, right? Which is definitely, if you're lost in the woods and you had a bow, you're not going to leave that anywhere. Like, that is like, you know, the thing you're going to hold on to because at this point you know you're a you're able to hunt for food and b it's it's a form of self-defense you know what i mean if you're out there in the woods you have you're gonna keep your bow you know Mm -hmm. Uh, screw the screw the sweatpants you know what i mean i'm gonna take the bow with me that kind of thing you know so yeah um this is one of those cases that is really really strange because it doesn't make any sense when you consider the person that goes missing and the items that get left behind Right. So and it begs a lot of questions. Right. Did somebody get to the point where, um, you know, they were hypothermic and uh, there is there is something that happens to your body when you become hypothermic right before you die. You start getting hot. Yep. So they do find people. They start stripping. Well, you, you actually you don't get hot. You feel like you're getting hot. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. You feel like you're getting hot. So um, at this point, you're 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 going to die. OK. And yeah. your your brain is starting to shut down. And that's why you're feeling this way. People strip or they've even found people who have um, gotten into bodies of water, like puddles and stuff like that, like the thinking yeah, they're to thinking they're going cool to cool off. down. Yeah. yeah. And obviously at this point, you are no longer the, the person you were. You're about to die. and You've kind of I think it's called like paradoxal undressing or something. I it think. is. It's exa- yeah. 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 And um, but again, like you would if somebody is at that point where they're about to die, that they're taking off their clothes. Right. You're going to find their remains very close to that. 
that location, right? You're going to find yeah. the body, right? And that's yeah. not the case here, okay? Um, Aaron actually has never been recovered, right? Um, I was just going to ask that. Yeah, it's still missing. It's still an active case in Montana. Like I said, this is it's almost 10 years now, right? September 5th, 2014. Um, but that, again, another very odd case. And then this other one, this one is also relatively older. Um, Dennis Martin, a little, another, again, another little kid, um, 1969 Smoky Mountains National Park, um, went missing this massive search effort. Um, and David Polites, when he came across this case actually ended up speaking to, um, a family, their last name is, uh, key. So the key family and the day that David went missing or excuse me, Dennis went missing they had gone out as a family, found a park ranger and asked, hey, where is a spot in the park where we might see a bear to see a bear? And, you know, which is, you know, bold choice, Cotton. You know what I mean? <laughs> uh, but uh, better be strapped. Yeah, no kidding. And uh, they were told where they could go potentially see a bear. Right. And, you know, with caution, go. And here's where you may may find a bear. Well, what they told mm-hmm. David Polites um, is that they spotted what looked like a bear running on two legs, holding a small child. Okay. And the father, and this was roughly, they again, didn't know that Dennis was missing. Okay. They just were out there. Coincidentally, this incident occurred an hour after Dennis went missing. Okay. And the father says, and recalling, um, that stated that a bear that did not seem to act like a bear, but instead was running on two legs, dodging between trees and had more of human like movement and gait for the state. It appeared more like a large person covered in hair than a bear, but that he had no other idea what it could have been at the time. Right. It was reported to park rangers. Um, but at the time they didn't do anything about or with that information because they just kind of thought that, they were seeing things or what they saw yeah. wasn't exactly, you know, what they saw because it was from a distance. Um, anyway, so to me, here we go, right? So <laughs> what does that sound like to you, right? And you look at some of these other cases where there are other, there's children involved and they talk about, you know, oh, well, the, the bear came into the tent and it picked up my little brother and walked out with him, yeah. right? A bear isn't going to do that. They're not going to pick him up and walk away with him on two legs. Bear, mm-hmm. do, bear do walk on two legs sometimes, okay? They don't but run on two legs. No, not like that. Not over <laughs> long distances. Not running like a person. Not dodging. And they don't have the ability. They don't have the ability to carry something in their right. paws, like especially if let's just say you know, and you know, I don't know if Dennis was conscious at this point, right, when he was seen, or if that was Dennis, right? We have to speculate. Um, you would think. You'd be kicking and screaming, you know what I mean? And you know you're you're terrified for your life. You just got taken away, you know, from your family, right? Um, but yeah, unless so it, unless Bigfoot just has a very nurturing aura to him. No, and it's Maybe. it's odd that you say that. There's so many of these cases. First off, I just want to say that there's no way to have one conversation about them. We'd be here for 12 hours, you know. Mm-hmm. And in this, you know, maybe we decide we do another missing 411 episode to talk about some of these other cases because there are plenty of them. But Maybe the thing 411 is, episodes. Yeah, and and, and you know, <laughs> and, but a lot of them have stuff in them that sounds 
and descriptions that sound like what people and how people describe Bigfoot. And it's mm-hmm. not just adults, it's children too, and which I think is really strange because if you've got a small child, in some of these cases you've got kids that are still single digits, there's there's no reason for them to lie and make up a story like that aside from, you know, the kids kids that young, they lie about, you know, eating their food. They lie about mm-hmm. what they just did in front of you, right? I didn't throw that or whatever, you know. They don't make up elaborate stories about giant ape like creatures coming into the tent and taking their sibling right um and so and of course what are they going to call it right in this one incident right uh the one i'm referring to is the little girl described a bear coming into the tent so of course she's not going to say oh bigfoot came into the tent what yeah she doesn't know what bigfoot is exactly in her brain this is a bear because i mean even my Mm -hmm. kid can my kid like i said he's not even two can recognize a bear you know what i mean yeah from some of his books and so there's all these instances that, um, you know, they sound like Bigfoot. And when we yeah. did the Zach attack episode, I did that reel that has that clip from the Sierra Nevada club where they recorded what they said were Bigfoots. And again, that's recorded in a national park. And so this mm-hmm. tied into this theory essentially that, you know, and, and some of the theories are more grandiose than others, but essentially that the national park service exists to hide the fact that there are cryptid creatures in the national parks and that that's where they live and that's why it's protected land and all that stuff and you know do i really think that's why the national park service exists no i don't think the national park service exists to mask the fact that there are cryptids out there mm-hmm. do i think though that there are national park service rangers and forest rangers that that are told you know hey you know if if something like this comes up that you know you're not supposed to talk about it yes because there have been park rangers that have come out and said that before. I have a friend, I'm not going to say his name, but he works for the Forest Service. And and he 100% will tell you that there have been instances where he's been told, hey, if somebody asks about that, you need to attribute that to a bear or whatever. And, you know, why, what's the purpose? What's the need? You don't want to draw negative attention? I mean, if you're trying to, you know, keep people from being too afraid to come back to the park. I think it's just as scary to say there's a grizzly bear over here as, as there is a Bigfoot. And I'll say this, having been to Glacier National Park a ton of times, signs that there are grizzlies that were seen here 10 hours ago do not stop people from going down this trail and getting that selfie at the end. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So they'll do it anyway. You know what I mean? So this whole theory of, oh, well, it's, you know, try to stop people, dissuade people from coming in. Like you don't need to come up with an elaborate story to do that. And even then people don't listen. But the thing is, like with this is um, I, I, I do like I, I think that that's. And you can call it what you want or call me what you want, but I feel like that is a plausible solution is that there is, there's some sort of cryptid or interdimensional Bigfoot, right? That exists and this happens to because there's too many instances and the ones involving kids to me lend a lot of credence to it. You know what I mean? And um, even for adults, a lot of adults that, you know, want to sit there and say they have these Bigfoot stories. Some of them don't care, you know, and some people do it just for, you know, the attention. But there are a lot of credible adults that say, and then there's adults in my life that have that say they've had Bigfoot experiences. And, you know, you're really only inviting negativity from the large portion of people, whether it's passive negativity or it's active, hey, that's stupid or you're Mm -hmm. lying negativity. You know what I mean? Unless you're somebody like me or you who's going to sit there and listen with interest and not judge. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Um, But, you know, this one to me sounds like some sort of Bigfoot. 
Yeah, for sure. And to kind of go off what you're saying about kids, like, yeah, with the bear things, um, I know with that specific story of where the the sister saw her brother get taken away by the mm-hmm. bear or yeah. Bigfoot or whatever, her yeah. story has never changed. Mm-hmm. It's been the same every time, and even as she's aged. And if I remember correctly, they never found the boy. Um, so, like, he's right. still missing, too. There's no body. Right. There's no nothing about it. And... Like she's now, she's now like a teenager, but her story is never changed. It's never wavered. She was put on polygraphs, like all of that. And yeah, on the polygraph, if if they ask, do you think it was Bigfoot? And if she says yes, then it comes up as a as like a lie. But if you ask her, do you think it was a bear? She goes yes because that's what she thought it was at the time. So that's going to be her reality. But um, it's the same thing. Like a lot of kids that experience this stuff. Um, like we were talking the other day and I was telling you a story. This isn't one of the ones I had and I, I can't remember the exact specifics, but there was a child who went missing um, near like a swamp, like a swampy area. Mm-hmm. And the kid was found um, like two days later in a part of the swamp that would be impossible for this child to get to. Okay. And it was the kid was found while like peeking behind a tree like this at like rescue mm-hmm. people. Yeah. And when when the rescuers found the kid, we're like, why are you hiding from us? Like we've been looking forever for you. The kid explained that, well, that's what the other that's what the other people were doing. Um, and they're like, what? What are you talking about? And the kid in the interviews, well after the fact, and still probably to this day, if you ask this kid, um, who's probably an adult now, is uh, they were lured out because there was a creature or something sneaking behind trees like this and took them away and uh like guided them somewhere and the kids said that they never went through a swamp or a lake or anything it was like a weird foresty area and there was a lot of these creatures all behind trees and this one big creature like took him through this and then like left him somewhere and told the kid like stay here you'll be safe and then like also left and the kid said the other creatures kept looking behind trees. And so he was, like, really scared. And then finally the rescuers found him, and then everything was okay. But, like, that story never changed. And nothing made sense about the kid getting to where the kid got, how they could get there. Um, it There's just so many weird things. Uh, it's speculated that Bigfoot helped this kid that was the larger creature. And that the other creatures are, like, enemies of Bigfoot or some other type of cryptid. Um, but who knows, uh, it kind of gets into the idea of like interdimensional, right? Where we, we joke interdimensional Bigfoot, but it, it, there's a running theory that, uh, he can travel or she, or it, it can travel through dimensions and it can take things with it. And perhaps maybe the other creatures were trying to pull the kid. Bigfoot happened to be noticed it or saw it and, just protected it while I went through this weird dimension and then told it like stay here because that was like maybe a place they can like go back through um and that kind of goes into so this goes into my next person um his name is Danny quick let's see about what you were saying is that Mm -hmm. uh, two things right there's another story um and I'll I'll just say it really fast uh that yeah um again a little girl gets taken from her family and when she's recovered alive she talks about 
a mama bear taking care of her and she uses that phrase mama bear you know what i mean mm-hmm. and um you know again it, it could be a bigfoot taking care of of this child right making sure that they you know thinking oh well here's this small child or small you know being that i need to take care of and i take care of it and i offer it food and offer the things i would offer my you know my offspring or whatever mm-hmm. and then the other thing too like you said with the inter- interdimensional bigfoot thing right is you know that's that's how people say that it is able to travel you know and disappear you know and not get found is that it exists on the other side of this veil between ours and another dimension and that's mm-hmm. why you don't ever find you know a, a body or you don't ever find you know it when you go looking in looking for it in the woods and the other part with it too like what you were talking about um like peeking from behind the trees is there's another theory with this that i think makes a lot of sense too and could account and there doesn't need to be one explanation i want to preface this yeah say there doesn't need to be one explanation for all of these cases they're just odd okay um we're not trying to solve it okay but the other thing is feral people right it's people that live out in in the woods and they are 100% wild, okay? But they are human beings, okay? Mm-hmm. And that's who's taking these people, these kids, or you're dis- dispatching these people, right? Killing them. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it... I don't know. Maybe if you're a feral person, you watch enough campers fold their clothes or set their stuff down or whatever, and you think, well, you know, I, I'm again, like you're putting yourself in the mind of a feral person, right? You know... You're avoiding all other human contact, okay? And you learn to avoid human contact because you live in a national park and you see people, you know, with frequency, right? And, you know, you know they're looking for this person. So what do you do? You go into hiding, okay? Because there's sweeping, there's dogs, there's people walking in line doing strip and grid searches and all this stuff. Then you know where to hide so you're not found. And then when they stop coming into that area, you go and put all the shit back. You know what I mean? Well, that's where they were. You know what I mean? And you go mm-hmm. and you put it all back and then you disappear again, right? You know, so the the idea that there's these wild human beings, these feral people that live out in the national parks and, you know, that again is another thing that supposedly the National Park Service and, you know, the Forest Service, they're covering up or the fact that these feral people exist, you know, is another, to me, plausible theory about why this stuff happens and, and explain, mm-hmm. explains it fairly well to me. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Um the feral people is kind of interesting because, uh, like, they could like a lot of these missing people happen near caves. So they could like be living in caves and they're just yeah. insane and they haven't been around a whole like civilization stuff like that. And they don't necessarily have to be like like your crazy great uncle who just went out in the woods. These feral people can be like just a, a sect of individuals, humanoids that have like been around before we ever came and found the new world. They could be like. Um, and it, it it could be like the Wendigo or the other um, other Native American um, creatures, because you hear a lot of like Native American stories where they're like, don't go in these areas at these times like right. that, because maybe they knew that there was like a feral, insane humanoid that was yeah. not to be messed with at certain times and stuff yeah, like that, that. So I know they've heard and read a lot of, you know, these are, ex- people will explain them with, you know, the Wendigo or, you know, mm-hmm. I know you're not supposed to like say, say it, you know, but the, you know, flesh pedestrians, right. Uh, mm-hmm. That's, that's, you know, counting for these people going missing. And, you know, this little kid, Dennis, um, you know, he went missing Smoky National, Smoky Mountain National Park, which is in Appalachia. 
which Appalachia, mm-hmm. however you say it, you know, which accounts for some of this lore, right? With with skinwalkers, with wendigos, right? And so, and it just to me, there's not um, just a human element involved in some of this stuff. And uh, you know, it could be feral people, it could be interdimensional Bigfoot, it could be some, you know, mm-hmm. supernatural explanation. The skinwalker things, like those ones, creep me out a lot because. Uh, a lot of the stories about it is that like a skinwalker will like pretend to be hurt and be like, yeah. help, help mm-hmm. me. Like, can you come help me? Like, Hey, come over here. And right. then you get over there and they're like, it eats you or kills you or whatever. And then you get like the joke videos where obviously it's like not real, but like mm-hmm. there are some videos where you're like, okay, that's doesn't like, it sounds like someone asking for help, but it doesn't sound right. Like yeah. it sounds off and you're like, uh, yeah i'll say this man like a, a lot of that stuff is very popular on social media and um but my my grandmother uh is from west virginia and um and she's since passed but a lot of this stuff that she had in her house you know growing up i've learned because she never told me about it you know what i mean but like you know um broomsticks and stuff like that you know old broom handles or you know brooms and uh not having a a mat on the front of the house or right in the front door stuff like that that these Mm -hmm. are all things that you know people avoid doing because they're trying not to invite something in or they know that having you know the broom by the door keeps stuff out you know what i mean and you know Mm -hmm. closing the shades at night which i i do anyway because like i don't like looking at this blackness and not being you know because you can't tell with the light from the inside if something's looking mm-hmm. at you so it gives me this gives me the willies you know what i mean but like Same. that's you know if you live out in them and i would too no matter what set of mountains or the forest i lived in would do it anyway mm-hmm. but that's like a thing you know in the appalachian mountains if you live out there you're from that area you close the windows up at night you pull the shades you know and if you hear something call your name no you didn't right or don't go whistle into the dark which i know is not just an appalachian thing it's a native american thing too is to not whistle into the dark because that is supposed to you know inviting something you know that you're you know you don't want to be around come down on you basically so there's all this stuff you know and and it's just it's not even just the national parks in general it's it's the forest you know because even you know not to get too far off topic but like you know living in europe as much as i have my whole life you know germany specifically and that area germany is extremely wooded where you know i used to live is is close to the black forest and they have a lot of similar lore to what you know, Americans do too, and Native Americans do as well. So, and it all has to do with, you know, keeping you safe in the woods from, you know, supernatural creatures and supernatural elements. So. Yeah, for sure. The, uh, um, sorry, I was muted. My little cat box was making noise. I have an automated cat box just off and off and it, it moves. It makes noises whenever Kuma goes to the bathroom. So <laughs> Thanks, yeah. Kuma. Uh, yeah, thanks a lot, Kuma. <laughs> but yeah, uh, it all those things are just kind of super interesting to me. I it almost makes me want to like go out into the woods and try to like find them or seek them out. But then I'm also worried that I would go out there and then I would fall into an interdimensional rift and then I'd be gone forever. It's the missing so, four twelve. <laughs> dang it. But yeah. Uh, my my next guy here, um, this guy went missing and was found, so it is a mm-hmm. good story. Okay, uh, but it's just strange. The first one, it's not as long. It's not going to be fourteen months missing. 
um, but it's very strange and it's oh, recent. Yeah, this is the one you said that was a uh, reference to the uh, the first one. Yes, yes. Okay, so this I'm guy's ready. name was Danny Philippidis, I think. Okay. <laughs> Why do they all have to have weird names? Why can't Zach Smith just go missing? Anyways, um, <laughs> you said you were going to go do it. Well, maybe in it, the bro. next four one one, we'll be talking part about two. me going missing. Yeah. Maybe four twelve. <laughs> Um, in February of 2018, uh, Danny Philippidis, uh, was on a ski trip with his friends in, uh, in upstate New York, like in the, uh, Adirondacks area. Mm -hmm. Uh, it was around 2 PM. They had been skiing for hours mm -hmm. and uh, they were getting ready to go back to the lodge. Um, Danny said that he wanted to go one more run down the mountain before their, for the little break at four. Um, and so, uh, his friends were like, okay, go down the mountain and be good to go. Now this was at like an actual like ski lodge. So he got on the lift mm -hmm. and it took him back up and there's other people on the lift mm -hmm. and he went up to the top. Right. And his buddies were just sitting in the lodge waiting for him to come back down. Eventually he gets to like six, seven o'clock and they're like, what the heck? Where is this guy? Uh, so they tried calling him, um, cause he had his phone with him. They tried texting him. Nothing was going through um just seemed really strange uh so then they they're like hey we haven't seen him for a while he went up the mountain uh we need to search for him so they immediately within like six hours from going missing the whole area had about 130 people searching the whole mountain for him um trying to find him okay uh never found him on the mountain because he wasn't even in new york anymore six days later uh danny's yeah. wife uh received a phone call um from his phone okay okay uh it was very muffled and it was very staticky um okay. but she could tell it was danny's voice and oh. she said that he was very incoherent and confused and he kept saying that they're chasing him that's um, creepy as hell dude yes and so uh and then he hung up the phone like there wasn't much communication between him and his wife. The wife immediately called the police. It was like, he just called me. Can we trace the phone? Da, 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 da. So yeah. they tried, they tried to trace the phone and they still couldn't find it. And they'd done this before. They tried to trace his phone and it still was untraceable. They couldn't find it. Um, and so he was just kind of still missing. Well, um, about three days after that phone call, um, he came out of uh, the woods um, in near Sacramento, California, he was just kind of out in the middle of nowhere and he walked out of the woods. So he went from New York to California, 3000 miles away in about like seven, eight days, which is hundred percent possible. You hop on a plane, you could get there, all type of stuff. Um, sure. but he was still wearing all his ski stuff. Okay. So he walked out of the woods or out of like a field or whatever and he was still wearing all his ski stuff um that he was had back in new york um sweating profusely obviously because it's hot um he had his phone he had all his stuff that he had when he went missing um and he uh walked up to someone and it was like asking him like where was he because he didn't know where he was and they're like dude you're like outside sacramento california and he was like, oh, my God. So then he called the cops immediately, and he told them that he was missing and that he didn't know where he was. And he needed help. And then they came and picked him up, and they took him back home. They, you know, they interviewed him. They asked him, like, where you been? What's going on? And the only thing he remembered from the time was that 
these creatures were chasing him and he was just running away. Did he have a description of these creatures? He did not. He just said he felt them and he just kept trying to run away. Um, What's interesting is there is no airline travel of him going from New York to California. There was no purchases on he had his wallet and everything with him still but there was no purchase with any of his cards he still had okay. the same amount of cash that he had when he left when he disappeared in new york mm-hmm. there the cops investigated like did he take a bus there was no bus tickets did he take an uber no uber there was no train there was nothing um they even tried looking at like cct footage at like the lodge or whatever there was no footage of him leaving the lodge at any time um, at least within a reasonable amount to when he could get to California. So this man, Danny, was in the hills at a, at a ski lodge in upstate New York in the Adirondacks. Disappeared, showed up 3,000 miles away about a week later, still wearing all his same stuff, having no idea what happened other than that he was being chased by weird entities. Well, that's extremely and, creepy. And he somehow called his wife in the middle of this with a very static phone call freaking out and they couldn't trace his phone ever. I wonder if, well, I mean, I'm sure there was, but like if there was a log of that call, you know what I mean? Like uh, there would have been on her phone, I guess if it was cell phones, but dude, that's yeah. extre- that is extremely creepy. Like they just, again, like this is a, uh, in my brain, an interdimensional kind of thing. You know, you, you, it's exactly what fe- I think it is. Fell, fell into some sort of time slip and, or, whatever and you wound up in california and again you know there's a ton of cases out there that you can go find that aren't missing 411 cases but they are cases of people who have um, disappeared um, and they've been found other places or their family members know they disappeared like um, a long time ago i read a story about a guy who went missing in his cornfield and for the rest of his daughter's life, like he, he was never found again. But they told officials that, you know, and people that they could go out into the cornfield sometimes and have a conversation with him. And that he, he told them that he was there, that he fell. All he felt was this sensation of falling through the ground. And then he was somewhere else. And that every once in a while, you know, he could come back there and talk to them, but that he did not know how to get back. And um, that mm-hmm. to me, that that thought is altogether just terrifying because you know, you're especially if you can see the people on the other side, right? And if you're, you know, I, I, my brain immediately goes to Stranger Things, right, with the upside down. And it's not the same; it's different. It's similar, mm-hmm. but it's different, right? And if you're being yeah. chased by something in another dimension, like that, you don't. That's being chased in general is going to elicit terror for sure, right? But interdimensional terror, it sounds a lot worse, you know, and just that is is really, really scary to me being just one day, dude, you're like, I'm going to go do this last run or I'm going to go for a run or whatever. And then you mm-hmm. wind up in on the other side, some, you know, somewhere, you know, and, um, you know, it makes me think of. I want to start. To, I want to tell you about the Kelly Hopkinsville thing, um, but I got. I want to finish talking about these people first. The other ones that have gone missing. I think I'm just going to do one more because I I picked several to talk about. Um, and if yeah. we end up talking about the others, we can. But um, you know, again, this one uh, is this is this was also on the uh, missing nine or missing nine one one missing four one one documentary. Um, but uh, 
This is uh, the Jared Adadero case. Again, another kid. Um, this happened in 1999, Rocky Mountain National Park. Um, the, the father was out with a group of people. It was like a Christian singles group, right? And they had kids and they went, uh, like, I guess out on this like retreat out in the woods. And, uh, it, it, it to me is like, kind do of, some, kind uh, of, do some soaking. I, uh, I don't, yeah, sure. That's, that's Mormons, isn't it? But, um, it is, yeah. No, yeah, but <laughs> this, that, and they're, if they're, if they've got kids, they're single, single parents, they weren't soaking. Right. Um, but, uh, anyway, <laughs> Could be. Yeah. The the group asked if um you know they the kids wanted to go to a hatchery, like a fish hatchery. And um, you know, Jared wanted to go and the dad didn't want to go, but the other parents in the group said they would take him and they'd look after him and all that stuff, and he agreed to let the kid go. And they didn't just go to the hatchery, right? They decided that they were gonna go on a hike. They didn't tell this was uh there were cell phones in nineteen ninety nine, but it wasn't everybody who had them, you know what I mean? Yeah. Not like today. Um, you could like a just, giant Nokia. Those right. You weren't just going to send a text or make a quick call or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, but anyway, they went on a hike. And I guess they split up into a couple different groups. Um, you know, Some of the kids that were probably younger and could travel uh, a little bit slower uh, versus a group with kids that were a little bit older and could travel a little faster, right? And um, they were going to go on the same hike. And I guess, um, you know, Jared kind of got in front of the group and he was, you know, within eye shot. And, you know, eventually he actually ended up talking to two fishermen. Um, but the fishermen didn't think anything of it because they could see the group that he was with. They said uh, I don't, it's a very specific number, but they told the police about 80 feet away from the other the group of the other kids and adults. So they didn't really think anything of it. Um but Jared eventually got too far ahead of the group, and essentially um, the last thing they heard was what they described as a playful scream or laugh, as if Jared was playing a game of tag with someone and got tagged and made like that excited like noise, like "Oh, you got me" or mm-hmm. whatever, right? Yeah. Um, they searched for him for about an hour, didn't find him, made the decision to leave the area, go tell Jared's dad that he was missing, right? Rightfully, the dad was pissed off drove his truck out to where it was. He searched for a little bit and then decided he needed to call the police, called the police. Um, they went out and searched um, for for him. Again, another adverse weather um, event happened, prevented them from initially going out and searching for Jared. Um, near another body of water, like I said, there, was, there were fishermen, there was a river by there. Um, so that, of, of course, was one of the things that they assumed is that maybe he had gotten into the water, you know, drowned or whatever. Um, so, of course, they did what they do. They dragged the water, didn't find anything. They checked upstream, all that stuff. Um, but another thing with this, too, is they, they brought a team of dogs out. And because of the seriousness of it being a child, um, they found a, uh, a group, a guy who had trained dogs specifically for searching for people. And they brought those dogs in, right? Those dogs have like extra special training, I guess. And they weren't mm-hmm. even able to, um, to find Jared. No scent was picked up for him either, right, from these dogs. Um, but four years later, in that area, again, where he it had been searched four years, right, uh, two hikers on the Big South Trail found Jared's clothing 550 feet from the last place that he was seen. And you can go and you can Google Jared Adadero's clothing, okay? 
and the pants and stuff are pretty torn up um, but it does not look the rest of it is very intact his shoes his shirt the little jacket he was wearing um, it does not look like it was torn up by a mountain lion they did find tracks for mountain lions in that area when he went missing but there was no other evidence that he was taken by a mountain lion okay mm-hmm. um Anyway, so they found his clothes 550 feet away from where he was last seen, okay? Which is not that far at all, 550 feet. No, um, they searched the whole the, area. I feel like they would have, like, came right. across it. And a few months later, skull fragments from the top of the skull and a single tooth were found in a crevice of a boulder field 180 feet from where the clothes were found, okay? And these were all areas that had been searched before, right? So again, right, finding the remains in the crevice, right? Could an animal have hidden the food there for later? Animals do that, yes. But all this other stuff, right, it just doesn't, it doesn't make any sense, right? And here's another story. I just, you know, real quick, touch on it. Corey Fay, 17 years old, 1991, Badger Creek, Oregon, went elk hunting with a friend and the friend's dad. They split up again. Um, they were only supposed to be separated for an hour. Corey never came back. There was a 10-day search. Corey had a, like a bag with supplies. He had a rifle, all this stuff. Um, the FBI was called in to search for him. He's a minor uh, that made note of that. Um, but on December of 1992, right, almost a full year, or a, it is a year after he was missing, two hunters found his backpack and rifle 10 miles away from where he was last seen. His jacket was found a mile away from that point on a ridge at 6.5 thousand feet elevation. Um, and with with that stuff, they found another skull fragment, again, and another single tooth, Okay. Um, and they said that there was no way in November in Oregon, in that area, that, that uh, Corey would have been able to trek that far because where he was going, he would have been in waist-deep snow the whole time. And it would be even difficult for a large animal like a mountain lion or a bear to drag you know, a, a, something this, as big as a 17-year-old person, right? A 17-year-old yeah. guy, man, essentially and drag him and leave him in that area but again so this the skull cap right the top of the skull a single tooth all these different things right that that, you know the the going missing and getting found again thing and had that experience that sounds terrifying but like why i just don't what what is up with the the similar similarities in this you know what i mean and there's another story you can find too where this guy goes missing and then they search the area and then again these hikers find this dude's pants okay draped over a log they're coming out of the legs individual legs of the pants are socks okay like somebody like set the socks up to come out okay but the bones are inside the pant legs and the socks, okay? Right. Why? And they, yes. And it looks set up, like somebody set this up, okay? And that's what's creepy to me is like, what is the point of this if not to like taunt or like you just genuinely do not understand human beings or, or what? And you think you're like doing something that you're not doing you know what i mean like you think like you're doing a good deed and setting it up so somebody will find it but it you know just sending it's not your message ain't getting across whatever you are you know and you know but and we're laughing but like this is like it is it's so fucking scary and weird it's just like strange it is dude and it, it uh you know these these books uh you get if you know who george knapp is 
Mm-mm. So he's he's actually he is a uh, a journalist and like a news broadcaster, but he also is very well known for um, you know his his uh, I guess you could say forays into the paranormal and he's on been on coast to coast radio um he also has a podcast now with, dude i know i love coast to coast uh, <laughs> with jeremy corbell but anyway he said uh those books will uh, make you be way more aware in the woods right and uh mm. but even then it doesn't even sound like you know being aware is going to help you out if you're all of a sudden you go from skiing to running for your life from interdimensional beings it's just dimensional bigfoot you know, yeah. And so, you know, I'll say this real fast, you know, like these things happening where they happen, you know, in the, all these cases, I've, I found ones, like I said, that specifically have these these characteristics that are all tied together. You know, how, how, it just it doesn't make it doesn't make any sense to me. None of this stuff. It, it's just really so weird. my my running theory and this is what makes the most sense to me is I do believe it has to be something like interdimensional. Like you fall into a rift or mm-hmm. something like that. And my, my idea behind this is the reason why it happens out in like national parks or like forested areas is they tend to be areas that are less like, there's not like power lines. There's not like a lot of activity. It's a calm mm-hmm. area. And I'm just wondering, or I guess I'm hypothetically thinking that because it's an area that, is calm it's probably more in tune with nature the earth a whole bunch of other stuff that maybe those areas just have the ability to kind of pass through right and it's kind of similar to where you have like uh, like buddhist um, buddhist monks they Mm -hmm. they believe that like the temple that they're in they can't be like loud they got to be real respectful quiet nice all type of stuff and it right. allows like spirits to come to that area more often and that type of stuff. Like mm-hmm. in, if you're in New York City, you're probably not going to be able to experience too many spirits because it's like way too loud. It's too rambunctious. It's too much activity. Too well, much like Ghostbusters, though. Yeah. What were you going to say? Ghostbusters. Said, no. Ghostbusters, though. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, when you got the giant Michelin man or what the puff walking yeah, around. Yeah, Stay Puff Marshmallow Man. And then in, in Ghostbusters, <laughs> yeah. too, you had the Statue of Liberty. Just saying. Okay. Those are. Uh, authentic documentaries but the (laughs) that's my idea is that you go through some type of like interdimensional like rift and maybe you're like still on like our like you can still see our dimension yeah like you can't quite interact with it and Mm -hmm. what made me really think about this is i was watching a show on netflix with my wife it's called like i wish i would have told you a hundred million times um it's a japanese show and it's about this guy who like goes missing and from his perspective he's like still on earth but he can't communicate with anyone and he's like walking through people and no one knows that he's there he's like what the heck what is going on mm-hmm. and then there's like another guy who can like see him and can like be the the mediator or whatever like you can like talk for him and stuff like that um but and I'm not gonna spoil it. It's a great show. You should just everyone listening should just go watch it because it's actually a pretty good show. It's like ten episodes, one season. Mm-hmm. It's really nice. But he's like freaking out. He's like stuck in his dimension. And he's like trying to communicate with his like girlfriend and like tell her like, hey, I'm sorry, I'm gone. I love you. Like move on. That type of stuff. Um, but like that's what I think happens maybe to these people. They just fall into something. So like the guy who went from New York to California, he fell into some rift didn't realize yeah. where he was he's being chased by something in this other dimension he's like freaking out 
and then he just somehow falls out of the rift in California. Like, he just mm-hmm. happens to get out. Maybe it's also what happened with the other dude who was gone for 14 months. He falls into a rift and then just pops out later. And I'm wondering if maybe all these missing people, they just fall into a rift. And my my idea is, like, how you find, like, clothes or you find items from them after you've searched an area is in the show I watched. Yeah. Things that were his, because he had, like, an attachment to it, he could manipulate them, like, in the show. So I'm wondering if, like, if you went missing with your, like, you fell into a rift, maybe your clothes don't go with you or something, or, like, I don't know, but, like... You can manipulate your clothes and then maybe you can leave them behind. Maybe that's why they're folded up nice because, like, you're trying to, like, signal to people, like, hey, I'm here. Like A folded, a folded pair of pants on a log in the middle of the woods does not fit. Yeah, it doesn't. It's like, hey, I, I, I exist still. Please help me. Like, I can mm-hmm. see you, but you can't right. see me, this whole right. type of thing. Um, Or, like, you just said, like, with the guy with, the like, the bones were still in the legs and the socks. Like, Yeah, and they never what found if, the torso. What if he, like, was so far... Like, what if you're in the rift too long and, like, your body, like, does pass over? Like, like your spirit stays in the rift, but your body goes back to where it naturally is supposed to be? It's like, I, Marty, like Marty McFly disappearing on stage playing the guitar. Right? Yeah, like, maybe it's something similar. And so, like, he put his clothes there or something, or maybe that's where he fell. He fell into the rift while sitting on that log. That's true. And then now that his, his physical entity because it's been so long is now just reappearing in that position where he fell through the rift, but his spiritual entity is like gone. It, or, or maybe like ha- maybe like all of him, he sat down, all of him fell through and then only half of him came back, which is why only half of him was there. That could be it too. Yeah. Like, cause if, if they can come in and out and it's just, it'd be interesting because you have people who do disappear for a long time and then just show back up. And then yeah. if it was interdimensional, maybe they could explain, like, why you don't remember a lot of it because, like, it just doesn't make sense to you. Well, it's and, like, like so, you just can't think of it. So there, this also is made me think of um, another case that's very popular, and there's a movie made about it. Uh, but the, the Travis Walton disappearance, the UFO case, have you heard of that? Mm-mm. Okay, so there's a movie. You can go watch it. It's pretty creepy. It's really good. This is a true story. Uh, Travis Walton was a logger. This is in Arizona. Um, he and some friends were leaving or coworkers, I guess, friends, whatever you want to call them, um, were leaving the woods at night after working all day. And essentially they, this is what their story is that they saw a light. It was following them down these, this mountain road and they were hauling ass going way too fast, trying to avoid it. Cause it was scaring them. Um, eventually I don't recall if like the truck died or they just stopped cause they knew they couldn't get away from it anymore. But Travis got out of the truck, walked towards this you know, glowing object. Okay. And according to everybody else, he got taken up into it. Okay. And there was, mm -hmm, there was this investigation. They got accused of murder. They thought that, um, you know, he was, he was killed. They thought that his friends killed him. They all took polygraph. They they had somebody come in to give them all a polygraph test, which they all passed. Okay. Mm -hmm. Um, and then randomly one night, from a payphone some distance away from where he was from, he called his house, okay, and was terrified. And they drove out, and they had to they had to like drive up and down the highway to find which like payphone he was at. And I want to say it was his brother and his wife who was looking for him. 
but basically he had been missing for however long. Okay. It was long in a period mm. of time where there was an active investigation and they were, you know, had arrested and charged like his friends with, with, with his disappearance and murder. Okay. And, um, you know, he came back and of course it vindicated their story about what happened. Okay. And, uh, um, you know, he, but he recalls what happened to him, right? He will tell it, you know, and it's in the movie. It's called Fire in the Sky is what the movie is called. Mm. Um, and I recommend it to anybody. It, I'll say this up front. It's a pretty, pretty creepy movie, especially, you know, if, if this sort of thing, you know, causes you distress, maybe don't watch it. But the, the scenes with him on this spacecraft with these aliens, right, are, are pretty intense, because they do like these um, experiments on him, like they, uh, you know, they shove a needle in his eyes, stuff like that. Just saying, like all this really, you know, terrible stuff. But he was missing for a long time, and they did not know where he was. But you know, in his his case, according to him, he was abducted by you know a UFO, abducted by aliens, right? But Travis Walton, Fire in the Sky, um, uh, a very interesting case. Like I said, it you know the police investigated his disappearance and everything, right? So mm-hmm. that all happened. And um, well, there there is the idea that like uh, or the theory that like aliens and UFOs, like specifically like the, near the Bermuda Triangle and stuff, like they can pass through dimensional rifts as well. Like they go yeah somewhere else, and That's kind that of... could explain it too. Like if yep. they can, they have the technology to pass through, and for all we know the aliens we see could just be like super advanced humans from another dimension on our yeah. earth, just going yeah. to like a different earth. Like there's so many crazy theories and rabbit holes we could go down with this, but I yeah, still yeah. do think that it's, it's more of a, it's more of a, you falling into a different dimension mm-hmm. and some of them come back. Others do not. Yeah. Um, I, and it's just kind of how, that's why I think it is. Right. I don't think, like I said before, I don't think there's one explanation. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. I think that, you know, they're national parks, heavily wooded areas, right? Um, you know, Maine, for instance, apparently is the state that has the most UFO sightings um, out of any of the states, right? Alaska is another one. And so again, Maine also has all... a ton of What's that? Maine, I think, has like the most lakes, like in the like oh, okay. in the right. like, well, America right? or something, and right. water source. You know, and and a lot of these states that have a lot of wide open space without humans, you know, it's just all this wilderness where people just don't live. They have all these really crazy sightings, and um, these incidents they have a high volume of them, and um, you know, with the I I don't think there's just one explanation. I think some of it you can attribute to you know UFOs. Some of it you can attribute to these these slips in time and space where you wind up on the other side of some dimension. Or there mm-hmm. could be feral people because there are other cases, these missing 411 cases, and not just missing 411 cases. There's like reports of people seeing like humans living out in the woods, you know what I mean? And, you know, there are cases throughout history of, of people coming in contact with human beings that you didn't know they lived, you know, arboreally wild out in the, out in the trees, you know? And, um, but the one thing we talked about at the beginning that I really want to talk about, I find extremely interesting is the cave system thing when these people going missing and it, yeah. it is the perfect way to disappear, you know, it, whether you're an animal or you're a feral being, 
you know, human or you're a Bigfoot or whatever is to, to disappear into these cave systems. And if you've, if that's where you live and that's where you grew up, you know what the cave system is like, you know what I mean? You know, these people that go spelunking and all that shit, you know, like the, whatever, man, that's not my bag. You know, like I'll go into like some of these like, you know, well-known caverns where, you know, a, a person is leading you and there's rooms and there's stairs and, you know, you can get in and out. But like these people that go into these wild cave systems, it's like, that's, mm -hmm. th that is like hell no, especially cave divers. Like this is like the worst combo ever. I don't understand how anybody puts <laughs> himself through that. Like just the thought of it makes me claustrophobic. But, mm -hmm. um, Anyway, so the Kelly Hopkinsville incident, okay, um, this happened, um, I want to say it was in like the 1940s, I'd have to look specifically, um, but basically this family, they lived out in, in the woods, basically, and they started to get attacked at night by these creatures essentially and they described them as they have they had these big ears and big eyes and basically called you can see the newspaper article that was written yeah. about them called them goblins okay and you know they supposedly got into you know they started shooting at them when they like surrounded the house and they actually escaped the house supposedly this is their story drove to the police station brought the cops back and the cops documented the fact that the house was shot up Right. And, um, you know, so this this whole incident was was documented and has been attributed, you know, as as either some sort of like alien, you know, group. Right. Or, mm -hmm. uh, um, you know, mythical creatures that live out there in Appalachia. Right. Because uh, mm -hmm. Ke Kelly Hopkinsville is in Kentucky. OK. And um, there is a documentary that you can go watch. It's called Hellier. And. It documents um, this incident in Kelly Hopkinsville, but supposedly happening again, like within the past 10 years, okay? And essentially hmm. what happens is, the, um, I don't remember his name, but he's reached out to from this guy who says that him and his daughter, they live out in this house kind of off the beaten path, and they're having these experiences where his daughter says she was seeing you know, something outside at night. It, was, it would take her bike out of the garage and leave it out in the yard. And you know, he would come to the window, and she would see it and all this stuff, and like he reached out to him asking for help. And this goes down all these crazy rabbit holes like this documentary. I recommend it. It's, it's not for everybody. It can be kind of slow at times. Um, you have to really have an interest in this stuff. Um, you know, like I said, it's kind of a slow burn, but it's good. And, you know, it's got Mothman tied into it, a lot of synchronicity. Um, but one of the aspects of this show that I found really interesting is they actually go out and they try to find this person because like the emails just stop and then they start up again and there's all these really weird clues, but they go out to where this happened. Okay. And they're talking to these people and they keep going around and they're like asking these random people they come up to and they're like, Hey, have you ever had anything weird happen to you out here? And everybody is saying, no, they've never had anything weird or whatever. And by chance, he just decides him and his girlfriend, like they're going to explain to somebody at this like rural gas station, why they're out there and what happened. And the dude's like, Oh yeah. You know, we, I know exactly what you're talking about. You know, like that's how we're taught about not wandering off into the woods. And they're like, what do you mean? And they go into this whole explanation about, you know, 
as a kid, they tell you to stay away from the caves, to stay away from creek beds, especially dried up creek beds, and to stay away from, you know, if you hear your name calling off, you know, call it off into the distance, into the woods, don't go towards it. Or if you see creatures in the woods, like trying to get your attention, as crazy as that sounds, don't Mm -hmm. go towards it. And that, you know, you'll disappear and you'll, mommy and daddy will never see you again, basically. And that, and so they, when they start, talking to more people again they start explaining that and they're like oh yeah well that's just you know that's normal you ask me like have i seen anything weird you know like that's just part of our culture here and it's like well that's kind of freaking wild that you're asking these people have you seen anything weird and that's not strange to them but essentially there's this there's this whole plot basically about how like these things exist damn i got like hair in my mouth um sorry everybody uh, they, they exist, and there's this story about how um, you know the, this family that lived out in the woods, um, you know, tried to convince another family to help them out um, by going into these caves and killing off these creatures. And you know, the other family decided that they were going to help, and then changed their mind. So this guy, he decided he was going to blast this cave entrance with dynamite, and I guess he did. And supposedly, it's what caused like this incident. Uh, or excuse me, caused this issue with these goblins or whatever it is you want to call them that live out in the woods and in the cave system. But the whole impetus behind this was that they kidnapped people in the woods, okay, and took them away. You never saw them again. But the the thing is, there. This is the mammoth cave system specifically, right? Mm-hmm. And in the in the documentary, they have all these really high profile missing cases and these people they talk to. And all of these missing cases, they are right along these entrances into the Mammoth Cave System. And the Cave System is is connected for a long, long, across multiple states, right? All underground. And um, if if you have an interest in watching it, I don't want to spoil it for you. But um, the Pokemon reference I was talking about is the Pokemon Sableye. Japanese supposedly have this, they know about the Kelly Hopkinsville incident and they created a Pokemon called Sableye that is, they created it off the description of what the Kelly Hopkinsville goblins look like. So if you want to go look it up and Google, you know, the Pokemon Sableye or you know what Sableye looks like, that is supposedly the description of what these goblins look like, which is kind of wild when you look them up, when you're just Googling him. Yeah, I was trying to I was trying to Google it or whatever. Yeah, uh, what, what was it again? Sableye. Sableye. Mm-hmm. Sableye Pokemon. Yep. Oh yeah, yeah. Right, but the 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 Japanese that they designed that Pokemon, they drew him as a Kelly Hopkinsville Goblin. How how odd that is that you know the Japanese are familiar <laughs> with this story, but you know most Americans have never even heard of it. You know, and I um, yeah, it, I implore a lot of you, you know, everybody, like go look into it. It's pretty wild, but th- it is again. You know, the Mammoth Cave System is a national park. You know, the Appalachian Mountains have a lot of wilderness, and that's how apparently a group of people in the United States are taught as children to stay away from the caves because there's these creatures that will try to coax you in. And the other thing, too, is like some of these people that say that they've had incidents with with these creatures will tell you that they kind of lose time and they feel lulled into a sense of false security. 
and they start wandering off and they, you know, and, uh, you know, these dry creek beds come into account and, you know, mm. they'll follow the creek beds and they all lead to these holes in the ground and stuff like that. It's pretty creepy, you know, because these people, they just randomly happened upon them in this area and they all, that's how they live. You know, they, they deal with this, I guess, you know, and that's how they grow up. It's part of their culture. That part's really wild to me. So like, to me, I've always thought when you talk about missing 411, like here's this aspect of it that you know these this group of people in the united states is across multiple states grow up learning about disappearances in the woods and these cave systems and these mythical creatures essentially taking people you know again it doesn't have to just be interdimensional bigfoot it could be sableye a whole group mm-hmm. of them out there snatching bodies dude taking them down into the cave system and what a perfect way to hide somebody and you'll never never see him again you know what i mean and yeah. um but yeah, that 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 one to me, like I, I feel like there's some sort of tie there, whether it's loose, and that's again why I say that there's there's not just one explanation. I do think the interdimensional piece has a heavy hand in it, whether you mm-hmm. know you, you know UFOs, UAPs, aliens, whatever you want to call them, have the ability and know how to travel interdimensionally, and that's how they get between you know point A and point B so fast, or whatever Bigfoot, goblins, whatever you want to call them. You know, and this is just fun conversations to have, and there is a, there is an element for me of seriousness in this because I do ascribe to some of this stuff because i don't think we know everything about our own planet or the universe at all right look at how little we know about the ocean okay Mm -hmm. but i mean it just to me like that has i've always had like a tie to it in my brain about 411 missing 411 and like the kelly hawkinsville incident and all of the things surrounding it what was the name of that uh documentary thing you're talking about hellier h-e-l-l-i-e-r h-e-l-l-i-e-r yeah yeah and and uh i recommend you know recommend it to everybody like i said it's a slow burn you know it's not like this fast-paced documentary with a with a ton of drama to get you sucked in there are incidents that happen interspersed with a bunch of other stuff you know you have to have an interest in this kind of thing if like this is your first time hearing about it and you really don't have an interest in this stuff and you try to go watch it my assumption is you probably will turn it off, but it's really good to me if you have an interest in this kind of stuff. So, yeah, I'm definitely gonna look into it. I'm I watched it watch on that YouTube. Movie Fire in the Sky. Yeah, dude, Fire in the Sky is a, is a scary book, man, or scary movie. Let me, yeah, I'm gonna watch Tra- it Travis Walton is still alive. He actually was on the Joe Rogan podcast. You can look up his uh, um, interview with Joe Rogan and listen to him tell you about this, and it's it's pretty terrifying and. You could tell it makes him very uncomfortable, and he doesn't mm-hmm. do a lot of public appearances. So yeah, because he probably like it was it was all real to him. Well, yeah, he'll it all tell happened you, to him. Right, yeah. it it changed his life and made his life worse, and he will tell you that. That's crazy. That sucks. Yeah. Well, speaking about uh, people losing track of time, stuff like that, uh, I think it's a good good time to kind of. And this before we fall into an interdimensional rift. Um, yeah. This no, is I mean, very, this... very interesting. I, I I love learning about kind of weird and off-topic things, and I wish more people would have an interest in them because they, they are very strange. And to all listening, look up the stuff we talked about. Um, you could look up the exact names and read about the stories yourself. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, just listen to yeah. Hiding Something. Like, that's a great podcast, too. It'll kind of go Hiding into something. this. Yep. Yep. Um, but yeah, no, it's... I love this stuff. It was, it was great to kind of just yeah. 
pick your brain and kind of go more in depth because I learned a lot from you today and I, I would hope that you learned something from me too. Oh, for sure. And, you know, when uh, we start prior to posting this episode, of course, like, you know, you're listening to it after it gets posted, there'll be a lot of stuff we'll put up on our Instagram and Facebook. Um, and like I said, we have a TikTok now too. So there'll be stuff there and, you know, YouTube shorts and stuff. Um, about this stuff, I'm definitely going to put that map up with the cave system and where people have gone missing. I'll put Sableye up. I'll put, um, you know, some Kelly Hopkinsville Hopkinsville stuff on there, which again, I really recommend people going and looking into because that is a wild story. Um, and it made the news. There's a news, there's newspaper articles about it back in the day, you know? Um, but I do, I, like you said, I love talking about this stuff. These are the conversations that really get me going. Um, and uh, I, I do. There, there is. There's 100% an element of truth in here. Where it's at, I don't know. Right? We're all we're talking about this because I don't understand everything about our existence on this planet in the universe. No one does. Uh, you know, I'll just stay flat out. If you think you know everything about it, then that's pretty naive. You know, mm-hmm. and it's, you know, that's. I don't agree if you think you know everything, but, um, For sure. you know, I love these sorts of conversations because it just gets your mind going about things out there that we don't really realize and, or don't know anything about or know enough about, and that could exist right alongside with us. And, you know, it's just, to me, there's room for, there's room for all of it. If we exist, you know, who's to say the other stuff doesn't exist too. So, but, um, yeah, Red Clover Coffee, our sponsor, Sheep's Clothing LLC. Please go check them out. Like I said, um, it really helps us out. Use our code Came with Fire at Red Clover Coffee. We will let you know when our discount code for uh, apparel with uh, Sheep's Clothing is out there. We'll put it on our Instagram mm-hmm. and, and Facebook and our other stuff. And um, as always, please, if you're listening to this and you haven't already subscribed or liked or left us a comment or a review, please do that. The reviews really make a difference. Um, you know, if you go out there and leave us a good review, they go a long way. It helps us with our visibility. Um, yeah. Don't, don't share just stop. Too. Share us. Yeah. Tell a friend about us. Don't just stop with, uh, you know, finding us on Instagram and then listening to us on Spotify. Please go find our YouTube. Just give it a like and a subscribe. Turn the notifications on so you know when we're on there. Anything you guys can do, um, you know, please, please do. And, um, you know, that stuff means the most to us and and supporting us that way by going on there and and subscribing. And you can find our link tree and our bio and all that stuff. So um, Missing 411, definitely one of the most interesting things out there. We did. We barely even scratched the surface. There's a ton of other stuff. Yeah, barely. Didn't even scratch it probably. Uh, maybe we'll do another episode on this. Who knows? There's a ton of other stuff out there. And uh, if you do happen to listen to this and you find something really interesting about it you want to talk about with us, share it. Maybe we'll talk about it on another episode. Please let us know. And always yeah, let us know what you want to hear. Absolutely. Let yep. us know what you want to hear. Um, so, but all right, man. Good talking to you. This episode, very interesting to me. And uh, yeah, I'm out, man. <laughs>